There is no such thing as evil. Evil is a conception of the egoic mind or a label of the egoic mind. There is only the truth and the ignorance of the truth or love and the ignorance of love. So what we call evil is actually just someone's own blindness to what's true or, or blindness to reality. It's the belief in separation. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to Almost 30. Hi, guys. So glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. (laughs) Welcome to Almost 30. You don't have to be 30 to listen. We just started it when we were transitioning to our 30s, but we're glad you're here. We talk about health, wellness, spirituality, entrepreneurship, and really the goal is to help you in your evolution. So if you're here, you are a curious, conscious person that is excited to grow. Yeah, I might be... um, I was going to warn you before we started. I've been lisping with my my temporary little dentures in. (laughs) And it's been... um, yeah, very interesting. I had to have my like teeth replaced. Basically, basically, I had twenty year old uh, fake teeth in my mouth that I needed to replace. But this week, I'm feeling like I've been nasally because of my Newport. cat allergies. <laughs> oh my god, a newborn. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like a block of white in my mouth. I know. I was gonna. I was gonna ask you about your cat allergies. Terrible. Mm-hmm. So we got we fostered. We're foster successes because we got two kittens, and I have allergies, and I'm trying to will my allergies away, and it's working. When I do Reiki on my my allergies at night, but it's not good all the time. Yeah. Well, at least you have two little sweet two little, little babies. babies. They're my favorite. Sweet little babies. But we, if you don't know, are based in Los Angeles, but we are from the Midwest and the East Coast. Um, I know a lot of you have been joining the community and are new to the community recently. So please join the secret Facebook group. You'll get to know each other in there. It's just such a beautiful place to support one another. And um, you can DM us directly as well. We're super active on Instagram. So at Lindsay Simsic and at It's Krista, we just love getting to know you. Yeah. We're so excited about our new mods in the group too. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So it was really important to us to look at every part of our business and continue to make sure that all types of people, all races are represented in our content, on our team, uh, and especially in the secret Facebook group. And our moderators have done such a great job. And we had a lot of uh, women of color, black women in our group volunteer to be moderators. And they're just so, so kind, so powerful and have really taught us so much, you know, I don't know if they, they meant to teach us, but have taught us so much about the conversations that we're having, how important they are. And yeah, it's just been, it's been really, really cool. Yeah. They're the best and we're so excited to have them. Um, I'm excited for today's episode. Oh my God. It's the best. <laughs> oh, love one is like my Bible. It's my, honestly, my 
I don't know if you guys, you know, have ever felt this, but when you read a text and it just resonates with you so deeply that you know you will never be the same. And the love one was that for me when I finally found it this year, actually in early 2020. And since I've read it um, twice now, and it's really just been a beautiful metaphysical text that really has helped me understand my role in the universe and my way in which I can consciously evolve. And it actually explains a lot of history. And so it's a historical text that is a translated consciousness from the sixth dimension. So we talk about dimensions, we talk about aliens, we talk about the pyramids. It's like everything I love to talk about mm. in one episode. How did you find the love one? I, one of the teachers I follow, or not a teacher, one of the alien people that I follow, his name is David Wilcock, and he has always spoken of the law of one. He references the law of one quite often. And so I knew about the text, but I never got around to reading it. And I knew mm. I wanted to this year. And so it was, you know, this year that I started, but it was almost one of those things where I wouldn't have understood what they were talking about until this point. So it came to me at the perfect time so that I could fully understand what is being said because it's it's actually very hard to read and it's very complex. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like if people are just getting into kind of the spiritual yeah. world, it's like this is one of the books that you kind of visit later on. Yeah, I would do it later on because so again, it is a channeled consciousness from the sixth dimension. So it's being channeled through a woman. A man is in the room asking her questions, but it's actually the consciousness raw. And the way that raw speaks through her is by saying each time they ask a question till so they say what does source say about negative polarity and and they would say raw i am raw negative polarity is and they say it like very particularly because they're so smart and advanced yeah, yeah. so it's actually really hard to understand and you kind of have to go through it a few times to figure out what they're talking about but it, it just it's it's worth it if you can really get into it and if you're really interested in aliens or understanding history a little bit better or sacred geometry or metaphysics. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge section on tarot, which is really important. It's like a huge chapter, like almost a book dedicated to tarot. And they talk a lot about how tarot was used by the Egyptians to communicate the law of one through um, mm. symbols and uh, images. So it was actually brought down from a higher level of consciousness so that source could communicate to people. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what the law of one says, which is really cool. And they talk a lot about ascension. And I think it's really relevant now because everyone is sort of interested in ascension, mm -hmm. how we can ascend, um, especially now that we've moved into 4D. Everyone's anxious to get to 5D. So as we evolve, it's important to understand how we ascend and the importance of understanding duality in our dimension as we ascend. So we talk a little bit about that too, which is, you know, just really interesting. I think so much of like reading spiritual texts is kind of a spiritual practice and that sounds weird, but mm -hmm. it's <laughs> to be able to be open enough um, and conscious enough to take oh, yeah. it in is like a spiritual practice in itself. Like even when I'm reading some texts that I'm digging into, like there will be, there will be like a 20 minute period where I, don't even know what I just read. Mm -hmm. And so like that spiritual practice of being so present to take in the material. Cause I think sometimes we just read to read, Yes, but I think these texts are so important. And I, you know, for anyone who hasn't dug into or listened to channeled work, 
one that like many people know is Abraham Hicks. There are so mm -hmm. many others, but it's just a really Bashar. It's it's just such a a beautiful, fascinating thing to take in because it does feel like a when I'm listening, there are so many moments where it hits me as truth and either you get emotional or you have just like a really profound opening or download. So I highly recommend like, even if you're a little skeptical, you know, mm -hmm. it can't hurt. Yeah. Watching Abraham Hicks is so rad. It's mm -hmm. like, and she's done such a good job of, of bringing that energy down and, and who knows where Abraham's from, but yeah, it's just so awesome. So Aaron Abke is YouTuber. He is like a conscious influencer type person. And he actually grew up pastor. So he mm. grew up within the church and, you know, broke out when he became conscious older in his life. And on um, YouTube, you can find a lot of his works on the law of one specifically where he breaks the law of one down. So I would start there if you haven't, or don't feel like you can read the text, but this will be a really good introduction for you guys as a spiritual, just like a spiritual foundation for understanding the law of one. Is there like a community for law of one? <laughs> you know, because I'm wondering yeah. like how he found it, like how, I know. you know, and now he's getting into A Course in Miracles right cool. now. But yeah, I, I don't know because it's such it's it's such an odd text because it's so metaphysical. So it's not like it is very well known. It's, you know, a more uh, accepted would be would be Course in Miracles because it's more about love and love one it actually speaks to what the love one is, is that everything is one. So, you know, talking about source, source meaning God, universe, whatever, does not blink at neither the dark or the light. So source has intended that the dark exists so that we we know the light and this, the dark must exist so that um, it can know itself. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, it's all part of the creator's mission and it's all part of the creator's plan to have negative and positive so that it can know itself through the, the duality between the two. But yeah, I don't think it has any groups yet, but I would Totally join. <laughs> I was like, you should start it. But it's should funny, we have a law the of channeling one? happened in Kentucky. Subgroup. Really? Uh-huh. Right by my, kind of by my hometown. I told really? Justin, I was like, oh, this happened in my hometown. He's like, it's in Kentucky. I'm like, it's close to my hometown. <laughs> it's literally like Basically hours. in my backyard. I know. I was like, oh my God, I wonder if I was born during the channeling. Wait, that's so wild. <laughs> Isn't it? So in it Kentucky. Happened, it happened at one time, basically. They they did or it like over, no, no. They did it over the course of months. Wow. That You can actually listen to the actual channelings online. Cool. It's hours and hours of channeling. Wow. It's so crazy. And it's what's so fascinating about the channeling is that the when they channeled, it had to be super, 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 super specific. So she had to be completely relaxed. They had to have the Bible positioned a certain way. They had to have a crystal positioned a certain way. The they consciousness asked for this. Mm -hmm. Wow. So they would say at the end, like, you know, Ra would say, you know, what? please ask your last question because the instrument grows tired. And he kept calling her, the, he called her the instrument. And they would be like, is there anything we can do to make the instrument more comfortable? And he would say, can you please um, move, you know, that geometric cube over to the left 20 degrees? And like everything had to be so perfectly wow. set up in the room. The temperature, having three people. And it's interesting too, because Ra, you know, the channeled consciousness talks about in the channeling to not channel by yourself. Mm, say more. Because mm -hmm. they said that, you know, you can, what happens with negative entities is negative entities can trick you. You know, they're very, they're very conniving. Mm -hmm. So they can 
you may think that it's positive and then it'll get in and what it will do is distort whatever experience you're having. So it could come in and you could think it's positive and then it could be distorted and it's really distort distorting your reality. So you think what it's saying, but it's actually not truth or it's actually not love. I mean, I feel like that's like people experience it every single day. Every day. <laughs> so it's like the media. So they say to have three people in the room to like mm. make sure it's fine. But when Ra first came to the person that he was channeled through, she had to speak to it and she said, you know, are you associated with Christ consciousness? Are you associated uh, with light love frequency? So you always have to validate if you ever feel an energy, you know, are you aligned with Christ consciousness? Are you associated with light love frequency? Are you here for the highest and greatest good of all? And you need to always confirm and ask because why a entity would not, an entity cannot technically lie to you because of free will. So if you are asking an entity, if they are connected to light will of frequency and they are, you know, here to support the light and for the greatest good of all, so it cannot lie to you. It would mm. leave because if it lies to you, the entity would lose some of its negative polarity. So it would lose some of that negative energy power that it has okay. by lying. So okay. it gets into a whole thing, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing is like fascinating. It's like, and Ra is actually the the sun god. If you guys know Egyptian history, mm -hmm. Ra was actually the sun god. So Ra was actually a god in the Egyptian times that came back to Egypt to support the Egyptians in their ascension. So Ra talks about Ra and the dimensional consciousness in the sixth dimension came down to support the Egyptians to live longer than 30 years because before the Egyptians, people could only live to 30. And it was really damaging our ability to to evolve because, right. you know, we could only have so many experiences until we were 30. So we weren't really able to learn or grow or evolve very quickly because at 30, you know, you have a significant amount of experiences, but not a lot. So by helping us extend life, Ra and the channeled consciousness supported the Egyptians in helping us extend to live to, you know, 80, 90, 100. I'm feeling like a new almost 30 logo. Isn't that crazy? Through. Yeah. An Egyptian eye. <laughs> Hier it's actually Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> We're like secretly coding like Illuminati symbolism in their heads. <laughs> oh, that is fascinating. Isn't that crazy? Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready We're for ready. this one. How? Okay, cool. Cool. So if you have any questions, wait, people can get in touch with Aaron through Instagram yes, it's and Aaron, on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. So it's Aaron Abke on Instagram. He's he's awesome. He's cool. so sweet. And then his, his YouTube's awesome. It's Aaron Abke on YouTube and he does Law of One and now he's doing Course in Miracles. And um, yeah, it was just an awesome person to have this conversation with because he's way more versed in Law of One mm -hmm. than I am. Yeah, it makes it super relatable. Okay, cool. And before we get into this episode, we have our retreat coming up. We're Ooh, so excited. Um, Pumped. We, we just had that human design session. Yeah, we're, we have a lineup unlike any lineup we've ever mm -hmm. had. Uh, so whether it's human design, we have astrology, we have... Femininity, um, sexuality, yes. energy healing, breath work, mm -hmm. human design. I know. So much. And then you get sponsor goodies. You get to connect with us. It'll be incredible. Yeah, we can't wait. And it's in Malibu at the Calamigos Guest Ranch, which is just heaven on earth, truly. It's five stars and we have you know meals together. You'll have plenty of time to relax, rest, recharge, reflect. But we do have just an incredible uh, schedule to keep you supported, learning, connecting. So you can find more information, almost30podcast.com and click on our retreat tab. Cannot wait. All right. 
Enjoy this episode. We'll see you on the other side. We'll read a review. Thank you as always for subscribing, rating and reviewing, for sharing these episodes with your friends. It means so much to us. We really, really, really appreciate it. Join the Secret Facebook group and follow us on on Instagram. Almost 30 podcasts. And make sure you're subscribed to the mailing list so you can get updates on merch. Merch is happening soon. Can't wait. All right, guys. Enjoy this one. Love you. Well, welcome to Almost 30. I'm so grateful you're here. I would love to start. I really want to get into Law of One and really spend a lot of our time because I think that'll allow us to go really deep quickly, which is very exciting. But I would love to start with how, what was the trajectory of your spiritual awakening? Because I don't know a lot of men like you that are like that as spiritually woke as you are. So I would love to hear. That's true. We are a a rare breed, I guess. (laughs) I'm trying to change that though. So a quick overview. I grew up as a pastor's kid in an evangelical church and was very much like a super devout Christian, um, all about Jesus and doing the right thing. I I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't even smell alcohol until I was 21. You know, never did drugs, never did any of that, but never partied. And when I got to be about, to this day. (laughs) No, honestly though, it kind of gives you a head start. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, a little bit. I think that it was good for me in a lot of ways. I don't have any regrets at all about the way I was raised. None of it was forced on me by my parents or whatever. It was like I genuinely wanted to please God and I was taught that those things were wrong. So I just didn't do them. So I was really sincere in my faith. And I think it was that sincerity that actually led me to question it because I went to Oral Roberts University and I got my degree in music and theology became a worship pastor at a church full-time back in San Jose, California, where I grew up. And the church I was working at was much more rigid and fundamentalist than my parents' church, my church growing up. And they were talking about hell all the time and women are inferior to men and the rapture and this and that. And I was like, what is all this bullshit going on here, man? Like, this is not the stuff I grew up on. And so it kind of made me it, it forced me to make a decision of, all right, do I want to believe in this version of God or not? And I said, absolutely not. So I quit my job and kind of quit my religion as well and moved back to Oklahoma where I'd gone to college to just sort of like start a brand new seeking journey of who is God to me personally without the indoctrination of what I grew up in. And that led me to a lot of Eastern philosophy. And you know now I teach non-duality on YouTube and A Course in Miracles. And that's kind of the path that I found. But when I was 27, I kind of had a, another spiritual awakening but this time it wasn't out of religion, but it was more out of my out of my mind, so to speak, uh, a traditional spiritual awakening. And um, I spent, I had like the most incredible two weeks of, I guess you could say, total nirvana, total stillness, total peace, total happiness and joy. And it was like a two week free sample of enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, all of a sudden, the you know through the trials of life, I kind of came back to my old egoic personality and suffering came back and all of that. And so that gave me a glimpse into the fact that liberation is possible. And once I had a taste of it, it just kind of put this hunger in me to quote unquote, get back there at whatever cost. And so I was working as a a full-time fitness model at the time in San Francisco. I was doing bodybuilding at the national level. I was a personal trainer working at Google. I had a great life in terms of like what most people would measure as success. And I I walked out of all of it. I just had no interest in it anymore. Uh, I never posted a, another shirtless picture on Instagram. 
Uh, I just lost That's interest in that know. version of myself. That's when you know. You're like, you've changed. <laughs> <laughs> that is when you know for sure. So yeah, that's kind of my path. And that's kind of where uh, what led me to where I am today. Your your two weeks of Nirvana, was that supported by psychedelics or, or how? Because, you know, whenever people say that, I assume that because I've had Nirvana. I've never, I don't think I've ever had it, but I've had moments of finding that, but only once without psychedelic drugs. So what was yours? Right. How was yours? How did it start? It's a great question. Well, I was I was seeking really, really hard to find freedom from my suffering at the time. I was I was severely depressed. Mm. Nobody who knew me would have known that at the time because I was really good at putting a mask on. But like, I didn't want to live anymore. I hated everything about myself and my life, and I just wanted to find some reason to stay alive at that point. And so I was seeking really hard and listening to lots of Eckhart Tolle and Alan Watts and kind of the traditional uh, spiritual teachers and. I, I was going up to this balcony above my uh, gym at Google every day on my break, and I would just listen to Eckhart for like an hour and watch the clouds pass by. And that was like the only time of my day where I felt like I had some peace of mind from the, all the crazy noise in my head. So I did that for about two months. And then one day, I can't tell you why it happened. There was just something that clicked for me where I had a flash of insight to the fact that this person who suffers doesn't exist. It's just a, a pattern in the mind. It's a conditioning pattern that I just keep referring to. And it's it's kind of a mental state that keeps claiming every thought as me. But I saw that actually none of these thoughts are mine. They're just product of conditioning and all that stuff. And so that insight gave me this expansive space, I guess you could say, inside of my mind where I just couldn't even remember what suffering was for two weeks. And so it wasn't supported by psychedelics at the time. I have had many uh, incredible experiences through plant medicines, but the interesting thing was when I slipped out of that two weeks, um, I was going through one of the things that happened was I was with a, I was dating a girl for about a year and a half at the time who was um, suffering from a borderline personality disorder. And so the relationship was super toxic and I was trying to make it work and we were going to therapy. And in that two weeks of having a clear mind, I saw very obviously that I was being really selfish by staying in that relationship mm. and trying to make it work for me because I was afraid of being alone and stuff. Yeah, codependency. So I broke up very much so. And that was kind of the root of what I was so depressed about. So I knew I had to break up with her. And when I did that, I wasn't, I guess, expecting the reaction to be as painful as it was. But I mean, she was like, like begging me not to leave her and crying and texting me, calling me every day and showing up at work, showing up at my apartment. Mm. Um, and that brought me back into suffering and identifying with my old stories again. So I was like, no, it's slipping away, you know? <laughs> so what I did was I would, if I would smoke weed, it would literally put me right back into that state of consciousness again. It was the most incredible wow. thing. So I did that for about a month or two to kind of hang on to it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of faded away. So I guess the answer is yes and no. So it was after the breakup, you had the two weeks or before? It was during... Uh, right before the breakup, yeah. Right, because it was like the peace and clarity. You're like, I'm going to definitively make this decision. You know, I'm going to move forward in this way. So how did how did the law of one like come into your life? How did how did that text come in? And you know, I will say just before we get started, within the law of one, there's so much about so much, and I I I think people need to view it in the lens of it being a text that has its own views and opinions that 
I align with so many of them. There's some things that I'm a little a little wary about, but I think it's much like Course in Miracles when you where you can be a student of this work and really the work speaks to so much. It's almost like you become a student of it, and that's how I felt, you know, in finding it. So I'd love right. to know how you find Love One and what did it feel like when you first got into it. Great question. I can't remember exactly how I found the Love One. It was in my radar for many years, and I would hear people mentioning it here and there, and I felt like drawn to the the title. But I didn't look into it for a few years until I think I stumbled across a YouTube video and uh, just got really fascinated by it. So I immediately went to the website and started reading it and, like everyone, was just blown away. And uh, I guess I, I read it through and then I actually listened to it on audio the second time and then the third time. And I was just so blown away by all of the principles and teachings in the material and I thought to myself, how in God's name is this not all over the internet already? You know? Yeah. So I had a YouTube channel at the time. I just started it for maybe six months. And I said, well, why not me? Like, I'll just start making videos and see if it catches on. And I really didn't think that it would, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's I interesting. It was... It's like, I, it's funny because your stuff, I'm like, oh, it's catching on because I feel like I'm the only one. So when I see your stuff, I'm uh, like, oh, other people know. <laughs> right, right. I thought it would be a little too out there for most people, aliens and all that. But, um, <laughs> The opposite was true. It was like I posted the first video on the seven densities of consciousness and it blew up right away. And uh, then I just kept making videos. And within a short amount of time, it was by far the most popular series on my channel. And all of my other videos were just getting comments like, more Law of One videos. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we're done with this vlog. We're over it. For anyone that's new to Law of One, how how do you describe the work? Because it's different. I think it's, it's really unique in the way that it's just a very unique piece. So how would you describe Law of One? Well, first of all, the Law of One is a channeled text from the 1980s by a group of, um, I guess you could say researchers, they consider themselves researchers, who were initially researching the UFO phenomenon, but they were not researching UFOs in the same way that most people do in terms of like, what do they look like? Where do they come from? But they were mostly interested in the philosophy of extraterrestrials. And they had begun, they'd been doing channeling for some years, um, Don Elkins and Carla, who was the channeler. And then they met uh, Jim McCarty, who was who ended up being the scribe of the Law of One. And the three of them got together and uh, actually the, the text began, I think, by accident. They were in a Sunday night meditation group where they would practice their channeling and something came through for Carla and it was happened to be raw. And so they said, hey, we need to do a dedicated channeling session to see who, who's speaking through Carla and what this entity is all about. And um, so it came through that this was an entity named, who named itself or referred to itself as Ra, who is a, a social memory complex from the planet Venus, actually, from, uh, I think, two or three billion years ago. And uh, the same Ra that visited Egypt uh, 11,000 years ago and all of that. So Ra began laying out, I guess, the simplest way I could just define it would be a metaphysical explanation of the nature of the universe. Beautiful. I was thinking with, um, it's funny when you talk about how people look f- for things with aliens and it is in a very 3D way and it's in a way to like differ ourselves from them. So it's like, what do they look like? How is it different than us? How do they think than us? And then it's interesting too about Venus because the more I get into the space of aliens and so just everything related to aliens, you hear a lot more about Venus and that and I think Ra talks about it, but a lot of the light beings come from Venus or are they on Venus or what was the relationship to Venus and aliens now? Yeah. 
So now Venus is not inhabited, at least in the third dimension. I'm a, I'm not totally clear on how this works, but Ra explains that there are entities that inhabit planets in the sixth dimension, which is where Ra yep. exists. So there, there could be entities on Venus now in the sixth dimension, but not in the third. Uh, the planet's not habitable anymore. But the, the fascinating thing is that uh, just in September of last year, of 2019, NASA released a, a study that they found on Venus that said, um, I think two billion years ago, Venus was like the perfect and most habitable planet in our solar system for a couple of billion years. And so that lines up actually perfect with what Ra explains, which was back in the 1980s, right? About when they dwelt on Venus and how their civilization advanced and evolved and all that. So yes, a lot of light beings come from Venus. Um, Ra's social memory complex, he's, they state, includes about 6 million souls from Venus, but Venus itself had, I think, 38 million total entities on it, so very small compared to our planet. But that's because their, their civilization and race was very different than ours, and so overpopulation wasn't a problem for them because they were much more harmonious. They didn't have wars. They didn't have conflict with one another. So yeah, there's some some distinct differences for sure. When Ra, okay, this is kind of going off before I want to go back, but when Ra describes himself, it's almost they as when they were on Earth, they describe themselves as tall, almost like have you heard of tall whites in alien literature? Uh -huh. I almost seems like yeah. do you feel like there's a similarity to to him being described as a tall white? Definitely, yeah. When Ra's asked how they appeared to Egypt, they said that we because you know in, in the sixth density they just appear through thought and they materialize whatever body they want. But they said that they tried to appear as similar to how they actually looked on Venus, which was uh, very tall, more thin, fragile-looking bodies um, that he says, they said, have like a golden hue. So like a white light, goldish type of hue. Yep. It's interesting about, you know, because in when you're in the alien space, you hear about the different types of aliens and you often hear about tall whites, which are described as thin, right. um, almost there's a sheen. And... Joe Dispenza, and I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Dispenza's work, but you mm -hmm. can find it on YouTube and you can kind of find it if you really look that in a lot of Joe Dispenza's work, they tall whites appear and they have tall whites oh, in the right. corners of rooms. So the tall whites are basically, you know, in this case, if we were to think they were from Venus being channeled to support us in this way, but that certainly could be. Yeah. That's how I remember Rob being described. Okay. Something that's really in the ether right now that I want to talk about at talk about it as it's related to law of one and that's dimensions and densities. So I want to talk mm -hmm. about, you know, what's a density? Is it a dimension? And then what are the differences between them? Yeah. Great question. People tend to get those terms mixed up very much, which is e easy to do. Uh, everyone's like very the 3d, 5d. They're like, Oh my God. Like <laughs> it's like everyone's obsessed with that right now. <laughs> 5d is like the new hip thing. hundred <laughs> percent. I saw this post the other day. It was incredible. It was like in 5d, you're hotter, richer, cooler. <laughs> hey, why not? Right. I was like, I don't think you give a shit about that in 5d, but anyways, that's just me. Exactly. <laughs> that's like people who, who claim to be star seeds and constantly talk about the fact that they're from the Pleiades or whatever. hundred percent. Like, well, if you were really a star seed, you probably wouldn't talk about it, but 100%. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So school us on densities and dimensions. Okay. So simplest way I could break these two apart would be that uh, density is a term that refers to the stage of evolution of your consciousness. So it's not a location or a place, but a stage in growth or evolution. And then a dimension would be more like a place or a location, you could say, in physical reality. And I think that 
different densities, the different densities of consciousness give you access to dwell in different dimensions. Because for example, like when you get to fifth density, uh, you no longer have any chemical body. It's, it's purely electromagnetic energy or light body, uh, like the tall whites you mentioned. So a light body is able to live or dwell inside of many different dimensions. Whereas this, you know, thick, heavy, dense chemical body we have, which Ra would call the yellow ray body, a uh, third chakra body. We can only be in the third dimension. We don't have access to dwelling. The body doesn't have access to dwelling in other dimensions, but in consciousness, we can project into other dimensions through meditation, through astral projection and all of that. But the physical body can only be in this one. Mm. And so I, would it be then if dimensions is a place in time almost, so we can, would you agree with that? You could say that. Yeah. yeah so... Because I guess I'm trying to understand then the densities make sense to me. It makes sense that we would evolve between densities. So it's almost like the goal would be to move to beyond our third dim dimension density to move up, you know, to be closer to light. And then you become almost electromagnetic field, right? Because you've le left right. your body. So yeah. why do people quite often, do you know why people skip the fourth density? Like, why is it in the public conversation for them to be like, oh, that's so 3D and almost they want to go 5D, but they want to skip beyond 4D? Oh, yeah. I think that's because technically we are still in, we, st we are in the fourth dimension because it's the dimension of time. And 5D is, if you imagine it like, like a square, you have mm -hmm. four points and then 5D would be a point and if I flipped it this way, it'd be a, a pyramid, right? The 5D is the point above the four points, which gives you access outside of time and space. So it's kind of complicated when we talk yeah. about dimensions because it gets into geometry and uh, sacred geometry and mathematics. But to be honest with you, I think people who are all about this 5D craze don't actually, don't always have a great understanding of what they really mean when they say that. Because you have to read a text like the Law of One or something really advanced to have a even a conception of what that means. It's such a heavy topic, you know? Yeah, it's funny. It's like when I'm describing, you know, the densities or in dimensions, it's like you have to go to YouTube and find like the sacred geometry. And you're like, okay, yeah. so here we are. This is what it would be like in 2D, 3D, 4D. And you're like, this square thing is 5D. And it's like, what the hell? Like it is, it's so <laughs> hard to grasp the concept. Um, but within, you know, the law of one, there's so much talk of what the law, what the law of one is. So I would love to talk about like, what exactly is the law of one? Yeah. Yeah, so the law of one simply states that all is one. Um, all of creation is uh, one entity, one mind, one intelligence, which Ra refers to often as the one infinite creator. And the reason the universe exists is just to allow the creator to know itself. Because again, the creator is infinite, so it is always it has always been knowing itself and it always will be knowing itself. Another term I like to use for it is the inexhaustible possibility. And Ra talks a lot about possibilities and probabilities in the law of one, which is basically all that reality is based on is, is probabilities. So in the universe, the first thing that's created would be a galaxy, right? And Ra calls that uh, a logos, which is sort of like a, a greater mind or one portion of the creator's infinite intelligence, which is then localized into a galaxy and that intelligence of the galaxy creates the star system in its galaxy, the laws of physics and whatever else is involved in that stage. 
And then the second stage would be the stars, which is a, a sub-logos. Each star is its own uh, intelligence, which inherits a portion of the galaxy's intelligence. And then planets are a sub-sub-logos. So it kind of goes down in layers like that because essentially there's only one being, right? So it has to play all the roles. It's not like it's like different entities like, hey, Fred, you're going to play the galaxies. <laughs> Bill, you're going to be the stars. Stan, you're the planets. All right, guys, let's do this. It has to be the same thing. So it, it kind of limits its knowledge from itself at each layer. So it right. can go down in, yeah, almost like a cake or something. And so then you and I, as humans on a planet, are also a sub-sub logos who also have free will to create our own realities in the way we want to. So everything is creating according to its own expression of the one. And uh, the interesting thing I find about the law of one's philosophy compared to like, especially Western religion, is this idea that the creator doesn't actually know what it is without some experimentation. I mean, that's why the universe exists. And, you know, a, a traditional Western religious mindset is, well, it's blasphemy. Yeah. God knows everything. He doesn't need to do anything. He knows it all already. Which is true on one hand, because again, the creator's always been knowing itself and always will. But also, you know, Ra explains that every star is its own experiment, uh, an experiment to know what the creator is like. And it doesn't actually know what the results of that experiment will be until it's concluded, which I just think is amazing. So it, the, the star will set up the different planets and the, you know, the archetypal mind, the, the, the zodiac. Like, for example, mm -hmm. our zodiac has 12 signs. Ra explains that if we could travel to another star and like study their zodiac, it would be different than ours. Like, mm. maybe they just have eight, mm. they have 15. So it's just an infinite possibility yeah. of exploration everywhere. And it's interesting. It's kind of similar to the Gnostic tradition. Are you familiar with the Gnostic tradition where it's like almost goddess mm -hmm. Sophia? So goddess Sophia right. in the Gnostic tradition wants to experience herself and she's the one that chooses to create duality, right? And then chaos. Mm -hmm. So chaos and creation, right? which is, you know, really powerful. But one thing I really want to just nail home for people that I still actually really grapple with and I, I think about quite a lot is in the law of one, you know, they say that creator neither blinks at the light nor the dark. And being very clear, it means that both the negative experience of life, suffering, pain, um, all things that we consider bad in our human experience are just as valuable to the creator as all things we can consider positive. And that is because the intention of us being on earth and the intention of the third density is to experience ourselves as much as possible. And, you know, in other things that other literature or things that I've read or watched, there are beings and there are aliens, we would say, that are actually very aliens or spirits or entities or, you know, energetic bodies that are actually not jealous isn't the right word, but in our human capacity, jealous is the right word of us for having so much ability to grow and expand during our experience in our human bodies. Like we are very lucky that we get to have this short amount of time to have so much polarity right. or so much duality to experience mm -hmm. ourselves so much. And that really is the creator experiencing itself. And that was something. So how did, how were you able to really get around to that concept? Because if you would say to people right now that all the negative things that are happening are in divine alignment with the creator, it seems very different than what is said at like church. Right. So how do you yeah. grapple with that? You can almost paint a picture for people that God wants evil or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
but that's that's coming from a perspective of duality and separation. So when we make the two one, it all starts to make sense. The idea is that without contrast, nothing can be known. So in the universe, nothing can exist without an opposite. So matter needs space, right? Space needs matter. Uh, and in in the universe, the like if you if you want to know what light is, well, you need darkness to know what light is, right? Otherwise, you can never know what light is. And I think the other hang-up for that concept is the idea that um, life is is finite. And, you know, when we die, we die and it's all over. So evil becomes the most important thing and the, the most grievous thing there can ever be. But when you know that you're eternal and infinite and what you what your true essence is can't actually be harmed, the only thing that actually gets harmed is the illusion, the maya, the body, the mind, the conception of self. But the eternal soul is eternal. So the way you could look at it is if I am walking into a dark room to explore that dark room, I don't know what's in here, but I want to explore it. Well, as I explore and I walk around, I'm going to bump into things every so often. And that might hurt me to bump into something, but that's how I explore what's in the room and learn about the room. And so you could look at the bumping into things as what we call evil. Uh, In the truest sense, the law of one teaches this and of course of miracles teaches this there is no such thing as evil evil is a conception of the egoic mind or a label of the egoic mind there is only the truth and the ignorance of the truth or love and the ignorance of love so what we call evil is actually just someone's own blindness to what's true or or blindness to reality it's the belief in separation when we believe we are ultimately separate from one another then that means i have to look out for number one fight to get to the top and so on and so forth. And that's the kind of Darwinian world. And that's the third density world where we get introduced to polarity, uh, service to others, service to self. And we wrestle between those two polarities until our soul gravitates towards one or the other. And that's what you know this third density universe we're in right now is all about on this planet. You know, those of us, I guess, who aren't wanderers, uh, who are here are making that choice, which Ra calls. He calls it the choice, but he says, it is the axis upon which the whole creation turns. So this third density is by far the shortest of the seven densities because the, the catalyst available here, the polarity is extremely intense. In fact, Ra says it's a hundred times more intense than any other density. So it's like a quick, short, intense time of experience where we come here to make our decision and then whether we choose the path of light or dark, we evolve up that path through the next, you know, four densities, so to speak. Yeah. And it's, so then the two paths are service to others and service to self. Right. Right. So, so you leverage, and another important thing I want to talk about is free will and the importance of free will within our experience, but just on the point of service to others and service to self, Rob, that's the way Ra explains the choice that we have in the density that we're in. Is it, are you going to be in service to others and in service to others inherently is service to self because we are all one or there Mm -hmm. is like the path of negative, which is service to self. So the point on free will, I think is really important. And I think that's really too, when we think about, you know, the law of one and there being negative polarity, people get so scared about it, but a lot of it's just because of our free will that's choosing to have that experience in itself. Can you talk a little bit about free will? Yeah, free will is is so uh, important in the law of one. Ra's constantly referring to free will. And what's interesting, actually, is that a lot of the questions they ask Ra 
Rob will say, we can't answer that. That'd be an infringement on your free will. (laughs) There's like one time, I I don't know which section I was reading last night. It was like, do you know something about this? And Ra was like, I am Ra. Ra, I am Ra. Yes. (laughs) And they're like, okay. And then they're like, could you tell us about it? And Ra's like, no. It was like just so I funny. Am no. <laughs> yes. He's like raw. I am raw. No. And just so you guys know, in the law of one, because it's a channeled text from raw. So it's actually just to kind of go back a little bit, it's an the energetic social memory complex of raw that's being channeled through this woman. So she's having, you know, the energy come through her voice. It's speaking through her voice, but it's in a much lower tone. And the way raw speaks, because raw is so intelligent, is is highly advanced and very particular and very it's very sweet it's very endearing but it's just like it's very hard to understand what Ra is saying but it's like it just love it like i don't know why but it warmed my heart like seeing someone so polite it does it warms your heart you're like oh my god you're so polite like the one (laughs) i forget which lesson it was but there was one lesson where they had to end the session for the day. So in the channeling, because Ra's energy is so powerful when it's going through the woman who is essentially the instrument, it can be exhausting for her because it's such a high frequency. And so right. they have to do a certain length of sessions. And on after the one day session ended, on the morning of the next day, Ra was like, Ra basically said that he was thinking about something he said and he didn't think it was completely accurate and that he wanted to change some of the data around something. Uh, Do you remember that? It was like some data point. He was like, actually, I checked with the other social memory complex members and that data was incorrect. And it was so sweet. Yeah, Ra does that a lot, actually. Uh, He'll be like, we correct this instrument and then repeat. (laughs) It's it's like... Whatever it was. It's amazing, but it's... Did you listen to it, the actual recording mm-hmm. I, not the whole like long yeah. one but i've listened to many of the sessions yeah it's it's fascinating to yeah to. yeah and for people that are interested in um and i will get back to free will but for people that are interested in channeling i think that's another conversation that's really popular right now in law of one at the beginning they do talk about how this experience came to be and then the importance of the in their channeling sessions for carla is her name right yeah. For Carla to be able to channel this this vibrational frequency that is so high, there had to be very particular things done to her body, to the way that she was eating, to the room, to the the they had sp- certain things in the room, correct? Like yeah. things yeah. had to be put in particular directions. It was like very particular to the way in which they could channel this high frequency being. Yeah, Ra explains that they had to do. He taught them a, a banishing ritual called the Circle of One, that they would uh, that Don and Jim would have to walk uh, before every session to essentially protect them from too much infringement by negative entities. Because Ra explains that if you're if you're communicating with with positive entities, or if you're just putting a signal out to say, "Hey, we want to channel something," you're going to almost always going to have some negative entities try and infringe on that. And that's their right to do that. And so Ra explains, it's your free will to choose to protect yourselves from that infringement. Because what what those negative entities will do is they won't be like, hey, we're negative and we're going to recruit you. So here's our philosophy. They're very crafty and they're very uh, tricky. So they'll come in pretending to be a being of light. They'll tell you what you want to hear and then begin sort of distorting things to a service to self path. So Carla would always, uh, one of her routines was to challenge whatever entity was speaking and, and say, I think her, her um, routine was to say, do you confess that Christ is Lord? Mm-hmm. 
And or she says, that do you, represents, like, do you subscribe to Christ consciousness? There was something yeah, about something like, like Christ consciousness. Yeah. And uh, if they would refuse to say that, she would assume must be a negative entity, not going to communicate. So it's a very delicate process. And in fact, the trance that Carla had to be in was so deep in order to contact Ra that she was completely not there for the sessions. Like to her, it was like falling asleep and waking up again. Um, this is all in the introduction of the Law of One uh, chapter. And so it was actually three weeks into the session. She had no clue what was going on, but she was hearing Dawn and Jim use all these terms that they were learning, mind, body, spirit, complex, and densities. And she was like, hey, can I read these transcripts? So they're like, well, let's ask Ra in our next session. So in like session 21, I think, Dawn asks Ra, hey, can, can we let the instrument read this material? And Ra says, yeah, that's fine. That's, it's not going to be, um, she's not going to dilute the message because she's completely in a trance with us here when we're channeling. So that's, that's perfectly okay. And so they allowed Carla to read it and she was equally blown away. So there's a lot of people on the internet who claim to channel Ra. And uh, <clears throat> I think it's kind of funny because Ra sets out these very strict parameters of like at least three yes. people. You're not going to do this by yourself. We will only speak with you in the question and answer format because that's we don't want to infringe on your free will. So we're not here to just be like, hey, we're going to tell you about the universe. Yep. We want you to ask us what you want to know and we'll answer according to what we think is or is not an infringement. Yeah, it seems incredibly po like powerful. And and again, like in each session at the end, they would ask, you know, how is the instrument? He would call Carla the instrument. And, you know, the instrument is tired. The instrument grows weary, whatever it was, because it was just so exhausting for her. But in, and just on the point of, you know, the negative entity, entity potential to channel, she, you know, would speak to, to the entity to ensure that it was of Christ consciousness or of like light love. And I always think, I always say of Christ consciousness or of the light love frequency. And I think right. they mentioned in the book too, that if a, a being, an entity is negative, that it doesn't have the ability to say yes, if that's not true. Because I don't think they, it's not like a lying thing, but they can't lie to you, right? Or what, what do you it, think? It would depolarize them. That's yes. why. If they, if they affirm a philosophy of the service to others path, mm -hmm. they're going to lose polarity. Mm. So they're going to try to weasel their way out of that. And especially for the service to self path, after third density, it's a much more difficult path to polarize on, apparently, than the service to others path. So they're much more protective over their polarization than a service to others entity is. Like, for example, in one passage, it's so fascinating. They ask Ra a certain question, and he's like, this might be an infringement on your free will, and we can't answer you if you want with some loss of our polarity. And I think Don says, uh, yeah, we'd like to know. And so Ra gives them the answer. So the service to others path doesn't want to infringe on free will because that's uh, depolarizing for them. And the service to self path kind of makes their living by doing that, by enslaving and manipulating and all that. So for that reason, it's very rare, Ross says, that a service to self entity would become a wanderer in third density because the risk of them uh, losing polarity is so great that they're kind of like, ah, it's not worth the trouble, you know? Right. We've worked hard for this polarity. Um, yeah. When people talk about, so I guess I just want to just close the loop on the free will thing. So within, within the whole universe, that is a law, the law of free will, correct? Which is the law of us, us as humans or would you say it's us as like energetic beings always having the choice of free will yeah us as souls you yeah. could say free will is essentially just the ability for the creator to know itself and because the creator is infinite every 
moment, every second of your incarnation, every decision you make is the creator knowing itself in a brand new way. So essentially, it doesn't want to just keep repeating the same things it's already done. It wants to keep exploring, which means that each and every one of us needs to have a, a free and clear path to make our own decisions without infringement or influence by another entity. Yep, that's perfect. And then just as a last thing on the the densities, and in Love One, they talk about how first density is like rocks, and then second is animals, right? Yeah, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so first is like, I think it's like rocks basically and earth, and then second is um, animals. Before elements. Right, elements. Okay, will you explain? Yeah, first density is um, earth, water, fire, air. So if you imagine a planet, like <laughs> rocks, <laughs> it's rocks. rocks. <laughs> it works, dirt, you know, whatever you want to call it. So if you imagine the planet before life formed, like when planet earth was brand new and it's kind of like heated up and red and still kind of like lava and magma. So as those elements of uh, magma and rock and water and air interacted with each other for a billion or whatever years, finally the planet solidifies into its form. And then uh, eventually, microbial life and bacteria begin evolving, single cell organisms, and that would be the beginning of second density. Second density is an extremely long density in terms of time because you start from, again, a single cell all the way up through intelligent animals like dolphins and dogs and elephants. So there's a huge spectrum in, in second density from plants, insects, anything that has growth and movement that doesn't have self-awareness like humans do is second density, if that makes sense. Yeah, perfect. And then I, this was something I wasn't clear on, and I'm curious if you are. So with re, is reincarnation, is Lava One does not align with reincarnation? Oh, no, very much so. Oh, really? Okay, tell me more. So like, just for example, the fact that you're here as a human being right now means that your soul has had to live unknown amount of incarnations as animals, insects, bacteria and so forth and before that rock water the elements because essentially nothing is i like to say it this way nothing is poofed into existence in the universe it has to all grow and evolve through the whole spectrum so the the soul the individual portion of consciousness that you and i each are it all begins the same because there's just one creator so it, it splits itself off into infinite amounts of these little fragments of its own consciousness and that fragment of consciousness goes on a journey. So an, an analogy I like to use would be like a, a big pile of clay. It's just the, it's all the same clay, right? But we separate it into little pieces. And then as we mold each of those little pieces into different shapes, we have all these different potteries, right? So your soul has been molded by all your incarnations, which is why you have your own unique biases and distortions and opinions and all that now. And as evolution continues, that just keeps happening until that portion of consciousness has completed its evolutionary journey and merges back in with the source after seventh density. Yeah, the the other law that I wanted to talk about, so there's law of free will. And I actually don't know if this is considered a law, but I know it's important, is forgetting, like the law of forgetting. Would you <laughs> is it called is it forgetting. a law? The the veiling? I don't think he calls it a law, but yeah, the veil of forgetting is yeah, what he wrote. The veil to of forgetting, as. yeah. Can we can we talk about that? And I keep saying he, but I mean they. I so know, just bear with yeah, me. <laughs> it's they. And everyone will be like, it's they. 
because it's a social and we'll, keeps it key. <laughs> and the social memory complex raw raw is a social memory complex and when you evolve to you know a place like the sixth density because everyone is one everyone almost all the souls have evolved to almost become a community of souls that believe in the same thing yes okay and that's yeah, like, where we say example, raw so raw is a, a bunch of different souls that are in belief of the same thing so it becomes a social mm-hmm. memory complex yes because not all the beings from Venus became a part of Ra's social memory complex. Maybe some of them went service to self. Maybe some of them didn't actually make third density graduation and had to redo it over again on a different planet. So Earth one day, we will also be a social memory complex, but not every being on Earth will be because not everyone's going to make fourth density. Um, some souls, for whatever reason, take longer to learn those lessons. And so they might choose to redo their third density on a different planet and say, hey, maybe have a better shot on Zeta Reticuli or something. Um, so whatever souls on our planet believe in love and service to others uh, will eventually become one entity. And that happens over a long period of evolution because <clears throat> the first thing that has to happen is we have to develop uh, telepathy, essentially, nonverbal communication where we can begin reading one another's minds. And that happens in fourth density. There's some people now that can sort of do that, of course. We have like words of knowledge and psychic stuff. But in an advanced civilization, let's say in 50,000 years, we won't even need verbal language. We'll just be communicating with our minds. And then what happens after that is entities through the gravity of love, um, the love is so great and the knowledge that we are one is so great that they decide, hey, let's just share our minds. So I'll give you total access to my consciousness. You give me access to yours. And which literally means like, let's say you and I merge consciousness. That means I could be in Texas meeting with someone and I can actually speak for Krista just as if you were here because I have perfect access to your consciousness and you can speak for me in California to whoever, right? So uh, as that keeps happening, more entities join together and eventually you have this, you know, six million group entity of uh of what raw calls a social memory complex yeah in in the tel- telepathy piece that's so much in the literature and anything around you know extraterrestrials that as you advance telepathy becomes the the preferred mode of communication and i think within our forgetting the veil of forgetting we almost forget that we all are telepathic um but i do just before we talk more about forgetting this was something i also wanted to talk about is have you heard about within, you know, talk of aliens and in the space about the Galactic Federation? Mm-hmm. Do you think that Raw is Raw's part of the Galactic Federation, correct? Yes. And so their their goal is to protect Earth, right? So they because of when and correct me if I'm wrong. So when Ra was originally um, in Egypt, when they came to Egypt, the social memory complex of Ra came to Egypt to support the Egyptians, it ended up not going in the way that they wanted. And I think that they were using a lot of the technology not in the way that was best supportive of the law of one. Correct? Yeah. The reason they came to Egypt was they explained that Egypt was um, very much in alignment with their views of the law of one. They were a, a pantheistic civilization. They believed other beings are out there. Um, they worshiped the sun as a god, which is actually very accurate. So, Ra felt, the Confederation actually felt they wouldn't be an infringement to go help them out. And the reason they came to help them out is because the lifespan at that point in time was like 30 years. 
like people were only living to be 30 years old. And so souls were getting stuck on earth in these perpetual kind of spiritual childhoods because they couldn't even live long enough to learn enough lessons to really grow out of third density. So seeing this plight, the Confederation deployed a social memory complex to Egypt, which Ra was the one, and they came to bring the message of the law of one. And the reason it kind of backfired is because whatever teachings they gave, I think Ra says there were like 30 misperceptions of it for every teaching they gave, and it was getting too distorted, and their teachings were actually being used to be given only to the rich and powerful, which is like the total opposite reason they came, right? To teach them that all is one, there is no differences. So Ross says, finding ourselves in a hypocritical position, we decided to leave Egypt at that time because essentially they had created some karma there. So they said, we decided that we will return at a later time when this uh, species is more able to receive this communication without distorting it. And that's actually what the raw contact was for in the 1980s. Uh, Ross said they had been kind of looking out over the course of human history for a harmonious group of people who could receive this message neutrally without trying to distort it, but just receive it as it is and give it out as it is. Mm. Yeah, the the things on Egypt were so, so interesting, especially um, just as it relates to like their use of crystals and tarot. And, and tarot was yeah. something that was really interesting for me and just to make just to make everyone clear, so Ra, the social memory complex, visited Egypt. Their goal and intention was to help extend the lifespan of the people of Egypt and to help bring the law of one. The people were distorting the message, so Ra had to leave. So the social memory complex of Ra spoke to the Galactic Federation, and they said that they can come back to try and relay the message again, and that was what was channeled through the Law of One text in the 80s. Correct. And if people are interested, too, you can look up more on the Galactic Federation. There's a lot of information related to this being a... I don't know if you would describe it as a social memory complex, but it's almost like a group of light beings that protect Earth, protect our solar system from, I guess... What would you say it protects us from? More or less, it just the best analogy is like the way our scientists interact with second density animals. Yeah. If scientists are going to go study, you know, lions and zebras and wildebeest in Africa, they're not going to go sprinting into the field of them with the cameras and start taking pictures and, you know, roping them down and stuff. They study them from far away with, with, um, not telescopes, binoculars or whatever. And um, scientific instruments so that they can study them in their natural habitat without infringing on their natural habitat. Because if they infringe, they can't actually study them organically anymore, right? Mm. So that's kind of what the Galactic Federation of Planets does. It's a, it's a group of planetary civilizations like Ra um, who are joined together and said, hey, let's, because at their stage, at the, that sixth density level, they, polarization is a lot more challenging at that level because they're so advanced. So the way that they polarize is by helping entire civilizations out and protecting free will. So one example would be that Ross says they they keep a quarantine over Earth so that they don't allow too many negative entities in. But they said every so often there are gaps in the quarantine that allow negative entities to get in because we also must honor their free will or that would depolarize us too. So they're trying to help everybody out in the right ways. I guess you could say it's... A, a, from our perspective, it'd be a very challenging job to have. But at their level of wisdom, it's probably not nearly as hard as it would be for us. Yeah. I want to talk about religion 
in love one too and and help people understand when we're talking about service to others and service to self you know some good examples and within service to self how difficult it really is to be in service to self and to be negatively polarized yeah it's if you think about it from a scientific lens it makes a bit more sense um if you know what the concept of entropy is in science it's basically the entropy means the lack of order in any given system, or you could say the chaos or disorder in any given system. So the more entropy there is, the more chaos and disorganization there is. So if the service to others path is the path of harmony and unity, then the service to self path must be the opposite, which is the path of entropy or disorganization. So a service to self social memory complex, for example, is not like a service to others social memory complex where they're like, hey, we all believe in the same things. We're all one. We're all equals. Let's join together and be light and love. In a service to self social memory complex, it's more like a military dictatorship where there's one larger entity or master entity who begins enslaving entities below them and recruiting them to sort of like join my mission, like like Attila the Hun or something, right? Mm -hmm. And so basically there's always a power struggle in, in a service to self group, because, you know, as a, let's say a sixth density, uh, service to self being starts enslaving, you know, fourth density or fifth density beings to its group, you know, the serve, the fourth density beings also gain in service to self polar polarity by serving the master entity. Cause that's enslavement. That's a service to self path. But at some point, if they evolve enough, you know, late fifth density, maybe even early sixth, they're going to challenge that master entity and say, it's my turn to be the master now, just like a, a military dictatorship works, right? We've seen that in our own human history. There's always um, other leaders trying to overthrow their commander and, and leader so they can have the power. So it's a, it's a constant power struggle, which makes it very difficult. And as you can imagine, take a lot longer to get from A to B than a service to others group would have to get from A to B. Yeah, I think that that piece is so important. And in the book, they gave the examples of um, Rasputin and Genghis Khan who were service to self. I don't believe Hitler. No. Yeah, which was, you know, really interesting. So that's really in the percentage 95%, you have to be 95% in service to self to to be polarized negatively. And didn't they Mm -hmm. say Genghis Khan was like in the Iraq, he was, they send all negative, the Orion group is a negative negatively polarized star system, correct? Right, yeah. So the Orion group is a negatively polarized star system. If we think about it, you guys might have heard a little bit about the Orion group. And then the Pleiades is a positive, positively polarized um, mm-hmm. star system. And I think Genghis Khan was like a clerk or something in the Orion group somewhere. They, <laughs> yeah. they had him like karmically brought back to that place somewhere in the Orion group, which was really funny. Yeah. And, and to that point, on on the point of religion was was really something that I felt was so profound. And I'm sure for you, you know, coming from a very religious background, even more so just speaking Mm -hmm. to the fact of, from what I gathered that a lot of religious leaders would use the teachings of the law of one, but then it would become distorted. And one of the most profound things was thinking about, I grew up very, I grew up Catholic was thinking about um, the 10 commandments and it's thou shalt not thou shalt not, you know, all of these things. Um, Right. And when you're saying, and when someone is saying thou shalt not, it's actually imposing or impeding on someone's free will. So when the church says thou shall not, that is 
intrusion of someone's actual free will to choose whether they want to or not. And I felt that to be so clearly obvious in the way in which it describes the way that the Catholic Church controls people and the negativity that the Catholic Church can or the negative polarization that the the Catholic Church can have. What did you find within the the pieces related to religion? Yeah, totally agree. It's such a fascinating concept for me in the raw material. Uh, So when Ra talks about the Old Testament, they mentioned Moses a few times, which one of the things I love about the Law of One is the way that Ra will correct the names of some of these ancient characters, historical figures. And that makes total sense, right? Like, there's no way that after 4,000 years, the person's original Hebrew name wouldn't have been distorted in some way. We call Moses, but Ra refers to Moses as Moishe, was apparently it's the entity's actual name, M-O-I-S-H-E. Jesus Christ, for example, uh, we know through, you know, like Hebrew and stuff that his real name would have been Yeshua, but actually Ra says his real name was Yahashua. A little bit longer version. So I just as a side note, I love that part about the raw material. But in in the law of Moses, Moses was a service to others, uh, a very advanced service to others being, probably even a wanderer, I think, and uh, was trying to give Israel the law of one, but was it was distorted by a negative entity who, as I explained earlier, very crafty in the way that they do it, right? They, they kind of introduced the whole commandment principle of thou shalt not. Moses originally was trying to give the message of the Lord your God is one, as we see in Deuteronomy. Well, that's the law of one. But then it's, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not covet. You shall not do this. And just that little distortion is all it took to create this monotheistic religion and all the Abrahamic religions, actually, which then became you know the primary force of all war and destruction on earth. And there's so much about Jesus too. And there's, um, I think they, that was one person that they talked about quite frequently and they talk about Jesus being a wanderer. And I want to get into what wanderers are and what the difference is. Are wanderers considered the same thing as star seeds? Yes. That's kind of just, you could say another term for it. And so wanderers are sixth, sixth or fifth density beings that come back to support in service to the law of one or is there a specific reasoning why this density being would come back yeah so it's anywhere after third density fourth through seventh can wander um ra explains that it's most wanderers are sixth density fewer than our fifth and very rarely our fourth density and the reason for that is because at sixth density the sixth density is the density of of, of unity so you need to have a perfect balance between love and wisdom in the sixth density. Fourth density is the density of love. Fifth is the density of wisdom or light. And then sixth is unity between the two. So because of that, it's a very delicate balancing process where they have to make sure that those two are even, right? So a sixth density soul is going to find the idea of wandering uh, to be a much more helpful idea than maybe a fourth density would who's just trying to work on love by itself, right? So they're probably better off staying in fourth density, uh, in the density of love to work on love. Same with fifth density. But they do choose to wander if they want to be of service to a certain planet. That's going to help their polarity as well. Uh, fifth density beings uh, will come here to experience the intense, like we talked about, catalyst and the, the difficulties and traumas of life. 
to learn wisdom, because that's the best, quickest way, I guess, to learn wisdom. But most souls that become wanderers are apparently sixth density. Yeah, and I think a lot of people resonate with believing that they are maybe a wanderer, but it's mm-hmm. actually really challenging to be that. And I think when we yeah. read about it, most of them are very alienated. It's actually very challenging for that person's energetic body to exist on this plane when you're of a higher energetic frequency on your own. Um, yep. But it is really powerful. And it's almost, I think something that really came through for came through for me was that, you know, the people that are wanderers make the actual choice to have the veil of forgetting to forget that they are wanderers so that they can serve. And it's actually very risky that you can get stuck back in the karma wheel if you're not continuing of service to others through your experience coming back to this density. So I think they made it very clear that wanderers, it's a very risky job to come back with service to support us in our evolution um, because you can get stuck on the karma wheel. And that's actually my greatest exactly. fear in life, which is getting stuck in the karma wheel. <laughs> <laughs> getting um, stuck in that damn karma wheel. It's honestly my my deepest fear. I want to, just as our, our last questions, talk about the healing and healing modalities and crystals. And I thought that was really profound too. And, and what's interesting about the law of one is that because it's, it was channeled in the 80s and and compiled in the 80s or, or what have you. It's actually very recent and relevant. You know, it was interesting to see a lot of the terms, terminology, places, people, things that were very relatable. I was like, oh, I, I know them. I know this. You know, I know all of these things. And then with the healing techniques, they talk a lot about color therapy and they talk a lot about what I perceive to be Reiki or energy healing, which Reiki is a, a type of energy healing. But basically that it's almost like the healer, no matter what modality, is really facilitating the belief and understanding that the person can heal themselves. But what did you make of the healing uh, parts of Law of One? Yeah, it's kind of like the tarot or... Uh archetypal mind sections of the raw material they're like so dense and difficult to follow but there's so much gold there that it's like someday somebody with a really advanced mind like a you know tesla type figure is going to come upon this text and like crack the code of what Ra's talking about from what i understand one of the things Ra was trying to help the egyptians learn was physical and spiritual healing and that's what the pyramids were built for Uh, A pyramid is apparently a sacred geometric shape that's very conducive for channeling energy to a single point. And so they were trying to build these pyramids for um, multi-purposes, actually. One purpose was to act as like a sensory deprivation tank where they would lay in the, I think, the queen's chamber uh, to be completely deprived of all senses. And that would uh, induce cosmic consciousness experiences, which would... uh, you know, polarize the energy body, the kundalini and all that. But they were teaching these, they were trying to teach, I should say, the Egyptians um, how to essentially become enlightened so they could become what Ra calls a crystallized being, uh, free of distortion, which then becomes like a human version of a crystal. You know, a crystal is basically like a compound of one single element in a condensed form uh, in a perfect geometric pattern, right? That's what a crystal is. So that's why crystals are really good for channeling energy, really great conduits for energy. And the human being can become a conduit for what Ra calls intelligent infinity, the energy of the one creator, which is everywhere all the time. We can become channels to that if we free ourselves of distortions. But we have to do that through spiritual balancing. So each one of our seven chakras correlates to one of the seven densities. 
the heart chakra, for example, is the fourth chakra, uh, represents fourth density love. So let's say I have a very difficult time forgiving people. Um, I believe that I'm separate from them and I have a lot of hatred in my heart or resentment. I have a huge blockage in my heart chakra, in the green ray chakra. So I need to do spiritual work on myself to open that channel, open that chakra. So now energy can flow, right? Just like a pipe or something. And then I have next the fifth chakra, the throat chakra, which would deal more with like authenticity and speaking my truth and wisdom. So as we balance all seven energy centers, we become more available, you could say, for physical healing. So Ra was trying to teach the Egyptians how to go about spiritually balancing themselves to achieve enlightenment, and then how to use crystals, which is apparently its own whole science, the types of crystals and how you use them and all that, to begin doing physical healing. And this was actually the way they were helping them increase their lifespan. Yeah, and they talk about too, in Atlantis, remember in Atlantis, they talked about I think this was in Love One, but that they were using the crystalline therapy for it almost became distorted. So the crystalline therapy that the Atlanteans were using was so almost too powerful for their advancement. And so yeah. they had to put us and that's why the the Atlanteans were that's why they they no longer exist, right? They had to put a stop to it. I believe so, yeah. Using crystals, Ross says, can be very dangerous because they are very powerful. One analogy he gives that's kind of funny. Uh, Ra has such a great sense of humor. They ask Ra, can you teach us how to do this healing with these crystals? And Ra says, that would be like handing someone a a saw and and a hammer and nails and asking them to build the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, it's yeah. Like it's just way too much. <laughs> it's so true. And if anyone wants, you know, more information on the pyramids, there's so much out there, like whether it's on Ancient Aliens or Gaia or History mm-hmm. Channel about the actual use of the pyramids and the power of the pyramids in the in the Egyptians. I think people are starting to know if they don't know already that the pyramids were not just for tombs. It was more so like energetic healing centers that were incredibly profound right. and powerful. So there's a lot on there that I would highly recommend you guys get into, which is absolutely fascinating. Um, the last... I do have a video oh. on my channel called I Am Raw in the Lava One playlist that is all about the pyramids and oh, really? what they're used for. It goes into more detail on that, yeah. Perfect. I love the plug. We're going we're gonna to plug soon. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm going through uh-huh. my notes. Yay I want to make... <laughs> yay, plugs. I want to make sure I covered everything because I had so much... Oh, yes, tarot. So I was Uh-oh. so excited to see in Lava One about tarot. And I just was like, oh my God, it was just like such an aha moment for me because I've always really admired and adored tarot for the ways in which it provides me reminders of synchronicity. And I think for so many, it is that synchronicity that helps remind them of, you know, their connection to the divine. It helps bring like mysticism and magic to people's life, which is so profound. Mm -hmm. And so ever since reading that, I'm what I'm doing is I'm creating my own deck with my own copy and we're going to create it into this really cool app experience. But cause I was oh, trying to cool. figure out how exactly I could bring love one to people. I was like, when I was reading it, I'm like, what way, and you've done such a great job with it on your channel, just being super clear and, and approachable in the way in which you were doing it. But I was trying to figure out the ways that I could bring love one to people. And I think it is going to be through this experience, which will allow me to speak more to the love one in that way. Can we talk about what he says about what Ra, they say about tarot in Love One? What he, she, it, they say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is the one subject that I'm always like, I feel inadequate to talk about. Oh this. my gosh, that is absolutely not true. 
I'm gonna, I can give you the basics. Yes, please. So Ra actually says that they invented tarot on Venus and brought it to the Egyptians, which is kind of where we first see the concepts of tarot and the archetypal mind in Egypt, hieroglyphics and all that. But it's essentially, um, you know, you have the major arcana, the minor arcana. Now we talked about the logos earlier, which was the, our sun basically is our logos, which each star creates the archetypal mind for their solar system which then that's the structure and parameters that life will evolve on, right? On that solar system. So on Venus, they figured out what the archetypal mind was for our solar system, for our logos, and began diluting it down into concepts, principles, images, because it's, it's so incredibly abstract. You can't just like lay it out like math or something, right? Mm-hmm. You have the, the matrix of the mind, the potentiator of the mind. Basically, there's 21 different arcanas in tarot, and seven for the mind, seven for the body, seven for the spirit, because each one of us is a mind-body-spirit complex, as Ra refers to us. And they only actually get through the seven of the spirit, I think. They don't get into any of the body or mind. Oh, no, sorry, the mind. They don't get into body or spirit in the raw material. But it's, it's probably like, I think, 15 sessions worth or 10 sessions worth where they're just going through and using the tarot cards and talking about... It's, it's actually really cute the way Ra does it. He's like, what, oh, student, does the bird represent to the, you know, and they're like, does it mean this? And he's kind of like, nope, try again. Yeah. Like, does it represent this polarity? He's like, well done, you know? Yeah. So it's a super complex subject, but endlessly fascinating and just something you could nerd out on all day if you wanted to. Yeah, it's so profound. Um, I think the this is the section that was is really helpful for me. So the, the uh, questioner when asking Ra what, what it is basically asks, am I correct in, in assuming that the priests in Egypt in attempting to convert knowledge that they had received initially from Ra into understandable sim- symbology constructed and initiated the concept of the tarot? Is this correct? And Ra says, Ra, I am Ra. This is correct with the addition of the Sumerian influence. So basically that it really was an attempt to convert knowledge received initially from Ra in a way that would people would understand. Um, right. And that just... Yeah, it just felt very true for me. So I really loved that piece. But in Love One, I mean, there's so much related to tarot, religion, Egypt, um, famous figures that we know of today, crystals, healing. And I think you can really find a lot of answers to questions that you may have in any space of life. But it is a very advanced text. And I think you almost have to work your way up and up to reading it, there has to be the right time because if I would have found Love One maybe even two years ago, I, there's no way I would have been able to understand a lot of the concepts within it. So I do believe right. it's more of an advanced metaphysical text just because it is so, there's a lot of metaphysics in there, but I think that's what makes it so grounded and possible for me. You could read it the rest of your life yeah. and always learn something new. Yeah. It is good. so good. Okay. This has been so much fun. I've loved nerding out with you. It's been a blast. <laughs> Likewise. I would love for our community to connect with you. So where can they find you um, and where can they learn more about what you do? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I try to make it easy. I just keep all my links the same. So AaronAbke.com, uh, YouTube.com slash Instagram slash AaronAbke. It's so good. Your YouTube's amazing. Your Instagram's amazing. It's all good. And you can find more about Law of One. And now you're really getting into Course in Miracles, right? Oh, my favorite. Yeah. Really? Okay. You like it better yeah. than Law of One? It's, it's close, but yeah. Okay. 
Okay. I was, I've actually been thinking lately. I'm like, I need to get in Course of Miracles. I think that's my next, that's my next I mean, it's like different text. strokes for different folks. Yeah. The loved one's more like the metaphysics of the universe. A Course of Miracles is more like spiritual healing exclusively. So, I mean, they're both equally amazing. Yeah. Does Course of Miracles have aliens? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. You know where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Aaron. It's been such a blast. Um, I am so looking forward to our community connecting with you to learning more about the law of one. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you, Krista. It's been a pleasure. I'll see you later. Bye, Aaron. Thank you so much, Aaron, for joining me. That was so much fun. Again, we were talking about the Law of One, which you guys can um, dig into on his YouTube or you can buy the book. Yeah. And just want to read a review of the week. We really appreciate your reviews. You can write them on Apple Podcasts and it just really helps us to get on incredible guests and just keep doing this thing. So this is from The Crockett. Best part of my day. <laughs> I love when people just make the crockett. little names. <laughs> oh my God. I, uh, wait, the crockett. I love that. I was babysitting <laughs> this kid one time and there was this like cat that walked by and I was like, oh, that's a cute cat. What's its name? And he goes, Crocker. <laughs> Literally like, like that was like Crocker. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, she says, I love listening to Krista and Lindsay during my commute to and from work. It's like having my best friends in the car with me every day. Thank you for inspiring me to live my best life and take control during quarantine. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah. We're still kind of in it. It's mm-hmm. like in and out of it, but here for you, no matter where you are, whether on the commute at home. Um, and if you have any recommendations for topics or guests, we are always open to that. You can DM us on Instagram. That's the easiest way, but we will see yeah. you on the next one. Thanks for sharing with your friends. It means the world. That's how we've grown and just really supporting people that you love with information that you're excited about, or you know, they will also love is great. You can sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch on events, retreat, merch, uh, freebies and everything like that by going to our website or checking the link in our Instagram bio. And we know you guys know this, but we have episodes every Tuesday, Thursday, and we will see you next time. Love you. Love you.